Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast. Today we're asking whether or not VPNs are dead. This may not have been top of your agenda at breakfast time this morning, but many organisations are still using VPNs to access systems. So do they need to? Are there alternatives? And is it even worthy of consideration when there are so many other areas to focus on? Well, we are going to discuss it and explain it. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. Over the course of this series, we'll be discussing new trends and ideas, as well as solutions to everyday problems in this fascinating and ever-changing world of tech. You just have to look at Elon Musk and Twitter. Things can change very fast. Today, we're getting stuck into VPNs. What are they? How do they work? Do they continue to be safe? What is likely to replace them? To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by Adam Harding, Softcat's Chief Technologist for Digital Workspace, and one of our amazing security solution architects, Kieran Newsham. Welcome to you both. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having us on. Hey, Dean. Hello. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us, ask questions or comment on things we've discussed on this or previous episodes. Send us an email to explain it at softcat.com. So let's get stuck in, chaps. Um, so I'm going to ask the first question, a pretty straightforward one. What is a VPN and how does it work? Well, I suppose, start at the beginning, a VPN is a virtual private network. Yeah? Its job is the safe delivery of data across public networks. And we've kind of got two broad uh, two broad offerings. You've got site-to-site VPNs where you get one entire site and you want to connect it to another entire site and it's always on and it's typically configured on a router or a firewall each side. And then you've got remote access VPNs, which rather than being site focused are individual focused. It's it's really to connect individual users, whether they're working from home or the coffee shop or, or anywhere in the world, really, um, to the corporate resources they need. A site to site VPN, think of it like this. You've got your head office where your business critical servers and apps are located. And then you've got branch offices that also need access to those resources. And you could Go out and uh, buy yourself a lease line, an MPLS, which is a great option to connect the two, but it's quite expensive. Or you could use the public internet, which is very affordable, but it's full of bad guys, really. VPN is often described as a, as a, as a tunnel. Your data is encrypted before it passes through the tunnel and through the public internet. Therefore, if any of those bad guys get their hands on it, they can't make sense of the data. And then once the data is received at the other end, uh, it's decrypted by a session key that's been shared beforehand. So it can be read normally. Remote access VPNs, as I mentioned, are for, for individuals that still require access to the corporate network. But the, the difference between the always on site to site requirement and the personal remote access requirements is that you as an organization have no control over the networks of that remote access requirement. So the remote access VPN tends to grant access to the corporate network, but only from a single device. It's great for when you've got users out and about using maybe public Wi-Fi, or if you just have no idea who's snooping. So unlike the site-to-site VPNs that are always running, the remote access VPNs require an app on that host device to connect back to the corporate network. So things like, you may have heard of Cisco AnyConnect or OpenVPN, and the corporate network's always listening for that connection. 
when we're going down the remote access route, you've also got kind of two broad options. You've got something called full tunnel access, which is where all the traffic from that client device uh, is directed through the corporate network. So all of the important stuff plus uh, anything that you might be browsing, like your Facebook sites or, or, or anything like that. So that's full tunnel access. It does exactly what it says on the tin. And the second option is split tunnel access, where which is designed so only the traffic destined for the corporate network is sent over the VPN and all other traffic is routed as normal over the internet directly. So that's great for saving bandwidth. It's good for um, privacy of users. And also realistically, most, if not all of the SaaS uh, applications out there, Salesforce, Workday, Office 365, Google, all that type of stuff, has actually been designed to work over the internet rather than being routed back through a corporate environment. That's a good description, I think. There's a, there's a lot there and it's not just one thing, is it? So are they dead? I mean, people are still using them for all of the scenarios you've just described. So going forward, you know, we're asking the question because so many apps are in the cloud, so many customers over the last couple of years have moved towards SaaS and you've got this kind of eclectic mix of ways of accessing data and applications. What you're describing there in some cases is almost like a point-to-point traffic, if you will, or, or going from one point to another. But as all this stuff is pretty much disparate and all over the place, you know, do we have that kind of need? Is there something else that's needed now to think about in terms of how people access the applications and data? Because I'm just trying to process what you've said in my head and everything's kind of point to point, but everything at the moment yeah. or a lot of stuff is kind of disparate and all over the place. So how does that, how does that translate? How does that work? Well, I suppose really we've gone from point to point to now lots of points to lots of points. So it's just a much um, busier picture. And if you look at those organizations that are in a pretty good state with regards to this, they probably have started to move on a little bit from traditional VPN because it has its inherent challenges. Um, it has its inherent uh, security challenges. It has its inherent support challenges and its cost challenges. And as you said, you know, it was probably originally designed to get back to applications that were on site. Whereas now we've introduced so many SaaS applications and public cloud requirements. So what, what I've certainly seen is a move towards um, more of a gateway model, I would say. We used to have gateways with, say, traditional Citrix. You go, you'd, you'd log into a URL, it'd take you to a storefront that was hosted locally, and then it would give you access to your one, two, three, four virtual machines or virtual apps. That same kind of model, but where the storefront or that gateway is hosted in the cloud um, and fronts your access to SaaS applications, your on-premise web applications. And this kind of probably gives away my conclusion to the question a little bit, uses micro VPNs to give application level access to on-premise applications. It's probably more the way that people are going because you've got to balance the challenges. We've got user experience we need to maintain and we've all had problems with accessing via VPN in the past. You've got security you need to maintain. And realistically, uh, VPN is very good for securing on-premise. Well, actually, it's very good for encrypting data in transit. That's its job. You need a load of other stuff to do all the other compelling things. And then you've also got visibility. With so much traffic passing over the public internet now to, to things, to your SaaS services, um, it's very easy for organizations to lose track of what's happening. And it's very easy for especially users to get a full sense of security you know 
um, and to accidentally click on bad links, to download bad files, to get drawn in by not being skeptical enough, I think, of, of the, the people and the companies and the services they come across when they're on the internet. And that can then pull down to your local device and jump through VPNs. It's obviously it's all security layers. So, Kieran, so, so in, in your opinion, um, all of these alternatives, is it getting complex to manage, maintain and actually continue to secure where there's various options and various links where VPN still plays a part? So, yeah, I think I'm probably going to use the old um, answer first methodology in, uh, in this question. So, yes, it is. But let me explain. I think. To be honest, VPN overall as a technology is being is actually being used more than ever. I think it's just the use case of how the VPN is being used is what's changed. And I think that kind of relates to your question because the complexities of where users are working and how they are working has obviously changed quite significantly um, recently uh, due to various different factors, due to the adoption of technology, uh, including as a service technologies cloud and kind of the demise of local on-premise data centers and also the external influences such as um, obviously the coronavirus pandemic and working from home and the digital workspace evolution right so the complexities that that most people encounter with vpns to adam's point is that split tunnel and that connectivity problem brings up two things really when you split tunnel you're effectively saying I want to lock this door, but I'm quite happy to leave my back door open. So you're locking your front door, but you're effectively going and leaving your back door wide open. You're like, yeah, cool. I don't, I don't mind if com- someone comes, sneaks around my fence, jumps through my patio doors. That's cool. I'm cool with that. And what I mean by that is your private apps are normally what you're going to encrypt over your VPN. Uh, and your private apps are the common ones that will still be on-premise based that you may not be able to migrate to cloud or you may not want to. The rest of your traffic, so users' local internet traffic, you're not going to encrypt. So you're going to break out that internet traffic locally through your um, employees' local internet connectivity, whether that's at home, whether that's at Starbucks, whether that's tethering to their phone you know, in a service station that's going to break out locally. And the two things that you lose when you do that, two key things really, is visibility and control. So you no longer have any visibility of your local users, uh, local internet traffic browsing. Um, So that opens you up to all different types of of issues that you may present your corporate endpoint assets with. So you're looking at things like drive-by downloads, different types of cross-site scripting, injection attacks, those sorts of things, Um, you're broadening your attack surface effectively for your end users because of the ways they're working and because of the ways that you've connected them through your security solutions. Now, people don't want to do full tunnel. You might be thinking, why don't I just tunnel all my users' traffic back through into my data center and through my security stack, which you could have various different types of firewalls, DMZs, next-gen firewall capability like IPS and IDS and content filtering and all that sort of cool stuff, right, that um, people have been putting into their data centers in the last few years. Well, normally there's a couple of limitations on that, and it's either cost from a licensing perspective and it's throughput, and they're both related. So more throughput costs more money and also puts a bigger strain on your network as well. So any corporate users that you have in the office, that's going to affect them if you're tunneling, say, 
400 work from home users back through your firewall and all their local internet browsing. So that's why they do it. But obviously, the key thing to, to point out in that is there's a large gap with your patio doors open, right? So you, you gain, obviously, maintain that bandwidth locally for your internet breakouts uh, in your offices, but you're losing that visibility of your end users effectively. And you also can't control that traffic. So you can't do all the cool stuff that you can do on your on-premise solution with your content control, with your intrusion prevention, with your intrusion detection, uh, and all those types of things. You, your sandboxing, SSL inspection, you can't do any of that. So that's why there's a large kind of question mark over the security because of the driving complexities of the way we're using VPNs. Not because of VPNs, not a good secure technology. It is by very nature a very good secure technology dependent on the way you use it. So I recently um, saw a stat that said um, in 2019, there was 350 million people working remote. and in 2022, there's now 1.1 billion people working remote. So obviously that's a huge shift. And to your point, that's a lot of, you know, kind of back doors that are kind of left open, I guess, for security and vulnerabilities. So are there new ways of being then to, able to authenticate or secure in a way that's managing that, if you like, open traffic access to various services and, and, and applications now that people are using that's not you know split tunneling essentially yeah so there's quite a large market and there's quite a lot of different sort of terminology and nomenclature in this market and i think that's why people are confused and think vpn is dead or i must replace my vpn solution immediately and then when they go and they look they're like well i've got secure access services edge technologies i've got zero trust networking technologies i've now got secure services edge technologies well, spoiler alert, they're all kind of the same thing because they all still use VPN technology. They just use them in a different way and they move the points. So when Adam introduced what a VPN is, like in super layman's terms or in networky terms, a VPN is a point-to-point tunnel over the internet. The thing is, when you're doing a point-to-point tunnel from a remote access VPN, so from an end user, back to your um what we call a head end, which is effectively going to be a firewall or a VPN terminating device in your office, that is one point to another point. What Zero Trust Technologies, SASE and SSE Technologies basically do is they move that other point and they make it into a cloud point of presence pop. And that allows you to dynamically spin up VPNs from your end users to a cloud pop. And this cloud pop is effectively an instance of a security zone is probably the best way to think of it. And within that security zone, you can leverage different firewalling features that you would traditionally use on-premise. But most importantly, you can connect your users to the different applications that they use, whether that be a cloud-based application on any of the major cloud vendors, whether that be a SaaS-based application, or whether that be, in certain instances, on-premise private apps, you can also do as well. That's what we call full ZTNA, Zero Trust Networking Access. Now, obviously, the benefit of that is your users are fully can then be fully roaming, so you don't have to define that they're in the office or they're at the home address. They could be on the road. Obviously, different jobs have different sort of use cases where they're around the world, where they're constantly on the move. So that is a large benefit of that. 
And at the same time, you don't lose the two things that I mentioned earlier. So you don't lose visibility because you have that within that sort of cloud security zone that I mentioned. Uh, and you don't lose control because you also have that in that sort of cloud security zone that I mentioned as well. And Kieran, you actually also improve user experience, which is almost like the triple threat. If you can hit all three of those because you're bringing in single sign-on, you're bringing in a single place to go for all of your applications, um, you're bringing in adaptive authentication that does a lot of the hard work for the IT department whereby they're doing endpoint inspection, whether it's a managed or an unmanaged device. Um, you're giving people opportunities to work in the same way, regardless of whether they end up executing the SaaS platform, for instance, on a local browser, or if it's an unmanaged device, you seamlessly launch the same application in the same way, and it will spin up a secure private browser that is this that is hosted in the cloud on a small virtual machine, really, for the for the for that session. But that user experience doesn't change whilst you're getting even more security and you're getting even more control. So it's win win win. So. As an analogy, in my head as you're talking, is it like an airport terminal where you're going through a big building with a load of gates that take you to different locations and there's an element of security that gets you through? You need your, your ticket and et cetera, and you've got your, your gate. But in this case, you potentially ha- have access to several gates to go to different locations to access or get to where you need to get to. Is is that kind of what you're describing? Yeah. Kind of. Kind of, yeah. I think if you were to maintain that analogy, if you were to think of what that airport terminal was like maybe five, six, seven years ago, or well now you've got e-passport gates, uh, which make it more seamless and easier, but probably evidently more secure because they're working on more biometric data quicker. You've got online check-in, remote bag drop, all these types of things that make it quicker, easier, and actually more digitally secure for you to get through that terminal and then absolutely stock up on duty-free vodka. Yeah. Right? So like you're way, you're straight <laughs> in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, fundamentally, um, if you think of a terminal, whether that be an airport, a ferry terminal, bus, train, yeah, it's um, points to um, you as one point getting to another point where there are multiple points that you can then digress to after that. But yeah, I think to Adam's point, obviously we're talking about initially in this conversation, the remote access question and how we can secure our users wherever they work from. But obviously, of course, it's intrinsically linked to other security problems or challenges, such as Adam mentioned, identity, posturing, asset management, these types of things, they're all intrinsically linked now because of the way the workforce has kind of migrated to this digital workspace, right? And how it's evolved. Um, so in that instance, if you adopt one of these kind of technologies that I reeled off on the nomenclature at the start, so ZTNA, SASE, SSE, you will be adopting a scalable architecture where you can intrinsically link it to your other security services to effectively enhance the user experience and make your um, security intrinsic. So it's built in, um, which is obviously a major, major bonus um, that you don't get with your traditional um, point VPN solutions, such as, you know, AnyConnect, OpenVPN, these types of things. 
So a couple of things there, because we'll explain it. So we're going to try and explain a couple of things, I think, from what you've just said. Um, but what we're saying is that VPNs, is, is it more of they've, they've evolved now to be part of those models? And it's not, as, as you've kind of mentioned, you know, the traditional roots of VPNs, but they're still that, they're still there. They're still used. They're just used yeah. and they're embedded yeah. into oh, some yeah. of the technologies we're, 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 we're moving to or using. I think they actually use more... Um, they're just more surgical, to be honest, because people pitch this as VPN-less technology. And at one point I thought, well, it might be VPN-less technology. But the reality is we've gone from those full tunnel access, i.e. Um, you have access to the entire network, to split tunneling where you now got access to just the stuff that needs to go to the corporate network, to when you look at the modern technologies like even on your mobile devices where they use application level VPNs to the zero trust network architecture style models where they use a very similar thing called micro VPNs um, that just open up the specific access to specific ports and specific protocols for a specific app. Um, I think we're using VPN in a far more surgical fashion, but we're actually using it um far more frequently so if i have access to three or four if i have access to three on-premise applications i now have three micro vpns rather than one you know full site vpn so i think it's i think it's grossly unfair to say vpn is dying i think vpn is really evolving and is a really important part of the encryption and security and remote access landscape now it's just most of the vendors are changing the brand names to to be honest, jump on the coattails of Gartner because they've launched some new terminology like SASE. But it's, it's still extremely useful. I don't see it disappearing overnight because it does a great job. What I would say when Kieran was chatting there, I do think there's there's a lot of myths about VPNs. And I actually think a lot of this comes from the consumer space because there's so many um, rogue YouTubers out there telling you that you should go and, and buy you know VPN Express or whatever the, the latest service is because then you'll you'll have you won't need to worry about malware and viruses. I mean so that's a complete myth. You know, VPN is not going to you know, VPN is a few things, but it isn't an internet connection. You still need one. You still need to have access to the internet first and at that point your routers or your applications encrypt the data and send it for you. Um, it isn't this cloak of invisibility because you know, the realistic, uh, realistically, ISPs and things can still see what websites and things you're, you're visiting. Um, and it certainly isn't going to protect you from viruses and malware, because as Kieran alluded to, um, we you, you it's on you almost to, to be sceptical and be careful, because there's so many drive-by attacks and there's so many, um, you know, basically, if anybody comes and asks you something or, or uh, invites you to take part in something steer clear of it because you'll pull down malicious code and malicious viruses that way the vpn is not going to protect you against that if anything actually if you've got malicious uh, stuff and viruses on and packets on your device and you connect back to your organization via vpn you've just encrypted the viruses and malicious code so i think there's just a lot of myths out there 
Okay, so it was a, it was a few acronyms that we used before, and I want, I want to come back to those. But it was a good point you made there, Adam, around because um, there are a lot of advertisements for VPNs, and we do see uh, certainly I've seen, and I don't, we don't endorse this at all. But there is this, or seems to be a, a movement, if you will, to access resource, you know, in overseas territories, and advertise to use VPNs to kind of tunnel to those regions and access maybe Netflix in the US or other parts, you know, other streaming sites are available, but. That does seem to be happening. There's a lot of advertisements in that commercial world for people to take a VPN and use it ultimately to access content and 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 to, to thinking that it is essentially secure or masked. So, so I think it's a good point, and we do see that in the commercial world a lot more than probably ever before. And it's interesting. I, I'm not sure, you know, certainly in my home life, a lot of my family won't know what a VPN is, but I'm sure they're advertised to use one. Yeah, I think in the commercial world, really. It feels like the number one use case for a VPN is actually to combat censorship. And if you live in states such as China or Russia, or you know, you could you could reel off a long list. There's lots of places around the world that that you know block access to the BBC or the New York Times or Facebook or or, or even YouTube. And you can see in places like the Ukraine um, how that has been very useful being able, being able to access VPNs to do location spoofing, to get proper information in from the outside world and to get your, your message out. So I think there is genuine, credible reasons for that. Um, and of course, uh, the, you know, the, the ones we see in the UK and in the States are really about spoofy location so you can get the US version of Netflix. I mean, as long as you pay for your subscription, I'll leave that. I'm not advising whether you should or shouldn't do that or whether I have or haven't done that. But yeah, I, I think that from a combating censorship point of view, that's an absolutely valid thing. And then actually after after censorship and location spoofing, probably in the consumer world, the third in the list is data encryption. Because the reality is HTTPS is so prevalent. It's on what, Kieran, 85, 90% of the websites out there. It encrypts the traffic already to uh, military standards. Well, I'm not using a VPN tunnel to get to my bank. And that's probably the most important website I visit in my own life. Yeah, I think, I think fundamentally what, what we just discussed is 100% correct. Like the majority of people using VPNs for personal use is for subterfuge, basically, to get around things. And that the majority of those use cases is censorship, right? I think to Dean's point, majority of people, kind of even millennials that haven't worked in IT probably weren't aware of what a VPN was before the last couple of years, to be honest. Probably weren't aware. There's a new generation of people and, and, and kids and teenagers and stuff that will be very aware of what a VPN is because of its kind of increase in personal use. And the majority of that is, as you said, censorship. It's getting around things and it's kind of the feeling that you've got away with something or the feeling that you're doing something that's quite clever when actually you're not really using the VPN for you know purposes that we've just discussed in a technical sense. You're, just, you're literally using it to break out into another location regionally so you can access local services. And I think fundamentally... The reason people use personal VPNs isn't because they want to stop someone seeing what they're doing. It's usually because they're doing something that they think they shouldn't be doing. Therefore, oh, if I have a VPN and I encrypt something, no one's going to be able to see what that is, which is fundamentally not true, <laughs> shall we just say. So yeah, you need to be careful, of course. There are good use cases for personal VPNs as well. Uh, so 
much the same as commercial use cases. If you're in a country, uh, a lot of people travel for work. A lot of people do business in the developing world uh, and they may take their personal devices and they may not be satisfied with that. The local ISPs are doing a great job on security. So quite rightly so, they will deploy their VPN and they will use that to maybe do online banking and stuff like you said, Adam. But if they're working offshore in sort of sub-Saharan Africa, they may think probably should get that NordVPN connected on the go, right? So yeah, there are good sort of, you know, valid use cases for it still for personal use. I think you touched on a good point there. Really, you know, security and privacy is still and probably always will be a product of trust because you've got to trust somebody. You've got to trust the ISP or you've got to trust the VPN company or you've got to trust whoever the data collector is. And it goes some way towards reducing the chance of somebody catching you out. But it, it, we, you still ultimately have to trust somebody. And we're all being tracked. There's, there's cookies everywhere. You know, the Chrome browser tracks things, Facebook pixels. Your data is out there. And it's possibly the most likely person to catch you out is yourself because you're the one that fills in all your details on all these websites when you want to see, you know, what superhero you are in a quiz or (laughs) when you want to apply for a credit score or whatever it might be. So yeah, trust. Yeah, it's interesting. The last episode we did was was on the metaverse. And I'll just, as you're talking about, you know, VPNs and linking those two together, that's a that's a fascinating kind of evolution, I guess, because, yeah, all, all the stuff you've described and some of the, the noise around that particular subject uh, um, is, can be quite scary, certainly the metaverse. So, yeah, maybe we'll revisit that later on and link those two together, connecting VPNs into the metaverse and what that means to uh, people who are looking to potentially hide or do things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, but acronyms, you mentioned a few, SSE, ZTN, SASE. I just want to kind of, for the audience, put those into some sort of context. I know you've described some of those elements in, in what you've said earlier, but um, in very straightforward terms, break down those acronyms, spell out what they are, um, and then spend a couple of seconds, if you will, just kind of telling the difference between them, if you can. Yeah, sure. So fundamentally, uh, to kind of tackle this question broadly straight away, they're market-driven. So Gartner, Forrester, those types of um, organizations that drive uh, market segmentation within information technology, they drive these acronyms. And then vendors obviously play their part in it as well. So to Adam's point, they want to offer more than just a point solution. That's the idea of Secure Access Services Edge and Secure Services Edge. And I'll explain the difference between those two in a second. Um, But fundamentally, they're a a methodology that you can adopt, which changes the security of the connectivity of different things that you access. That's that's what it is. SASE will commonly include things like zero trust networking access. They'll include data loss prevention, cloud access security broker. These types of things, remote browser isolation, uh, they'll include things like firewall as a service. So there are a lot of different point technologies that they bundle into one umbrella, uh, which makes it easier for vendors to pitch in these spaces their products. The difference between SASE and SSE, by the way, Secure Access Services Edge and Secure Services Edge, is that A removes a very large and very broad technology that we know as software-defined WAN or software-defined wide area network, which ironically is entirely predicated on the use of VPN technology. 
So that's the difference between SASE and SSE. The um, the reason that, that that's changed is because of a lot of SASE providers or vendors did not natively provide SD-WAN. And you would have to either already be doing SD-WAN with another vendor or you'd have to be looking at it. And let's be honest, changing your entire WAN to software-defined from a traditional hub and spoke MPLS model is not a straightforward, simple project that you're going to do. So it lengthened the time that people were thinking about implementing these solutions. So they removed that and now they've got SSE. ZTN or ZTNA, Zero Trust Networking or Zero Trust Networking Access, forms part of SSE and SASE as a methodology. When I mentioned full ZTNA earlier, what that means is you're basically, you have replaced your traditional VPN in its entirety with a ZTNA solution. And what that means is you're doing full encrypted tunnel access with ultimate visibility and control to any apps that you are hosting on-premise in your data center, your traditional applications that you're hosting. And you're doing the same for your cloud apps as well, or your software as a service apps. And that is what that means effectively. And the concept of zero trust, of course, is firmly got its talons in identity. So you have contextual access and you understand who is accessing what from where, when. That's effectively what you're doing. And by definition of that, if you know all those things, you can afford to trust no one until they've proven all those things, right? That's effectively what those acronyms and technologies are and do. Fantastic summary and makes sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to our audience when they listen. And obviously if they have any questions, they can email us in and ask. But I think that's that's really important and a really good summary and, a, and probably a good place to end. There's a lot of acronyms. There's a lot of options. But I think from my understanding from today, VPNs are not dead. Maybe traditional VPNs have absolutely evolved into these new ways of being able to access. And, um, and I think it's a case of that transfer, that, that, that change is happening, but it's not an overnight one. It's going from this way of doing things that people know to this new way where the applications and data appear to be from what we can see in a much more disparate spread out location, these different routes, different areas and the transit to get there ultimately needs some flexibility, but security is always at the heart of it. That's what I've kind of gathered from today, if that's a fair summary. Yeah, I think so. I think the VPN has a place today. I think it'll have a place tomorrow. I think it's just part of the part of the toolkit now. And we understand the role it plays. And it's intrinsic to all of the modern security and connectivity approaches. So thanks to Adam and Kieran for joining me today. Excellent debate. If you have any questions on VPNs or the wider security landscape and the options available, please contact us on explainit at softcat.com. Thanks for listening and catch us on episode three, which will be available very soon. And remember, make sure to follow us to get notified of when it's available. Hold up. 